Welcome to Necessary Illusions. I am your host, MC Squared. On this episode of the podcast, I interview Green Party member and hopeful Richard Weiss. He is a politician, an attorney, a Pennsylvanian, and a world traveler. On the show, we discuss green politics. I hope you enjoy Solidarity Forever. Thanks for having me. So, um, the highly contested Senate race, Dr. Oz, John Fetterman, and you were the other guy, huh? Yes. (laughs) Uh, I'm just a very ordinary person. I just felt like somebody needed to step up. Uh, They didn't uh, really have a candidate, and I said, you know, I'll do it. And that's not the first time I ran. I... Two years earlier, I, I ran for attorney general. And in this coming election, I may be on the ballot for attorney general again. <clears throat> so what's been your affiliation with the Green Party? How long have you been a Green member? I would say I became very interested in the Green Party due to the 2016 election because I didn't agree with how Bernie Sanders was treated and how they admitted in court that they can choose anybody they want in a back room if they wanted. And it just doesn't seem to be a a democratic party at all. What do you think about the political system? I mean, yeah, there's a lot of shenanigans. Both parties try to prevent, um, you know, third party from challenging their power, from challenging their authority. And the fact that we have this electoral electrical college, you know, we have this, uh, archaic mm-hmm. system, this relic of the past, this anti-democratic institution. Um, you know, so you get, I think, Trump, right? Didn't he win when he won, he, but he didn't win the popular vote? So majority doesn't rule here. We have a so-called democracy, although, um, you know, Princeton University, I think in a 2014 study said it's uh, actually an oligarchy and about 90% of the population is disenfranchised. As long as you're in the top 10% of income, that's really the only opinions that matter in this country. So what do you think about our political system and, I don't know, the way the, the way we do things and, and the fact that, you know, it's so, it's so difficult for, you know, um, anti-establishment candidates to even get on the ballot? That's exactly right. Uh, I feel like we have to try anyway. Uh, the Green Party position is to get money out of politics. If we could do that, I think we could solve the problems. Uh, <clears throat> but it's an uphill battle, like you said, uh, we we get sued just about every election to kick off uh, our candidates from the ballot. So in um, <clears throat> 2020 and 2022, well, in 2020, I was on the ballot for Attorney General at the time when Howie Hawkins was, was running, and they succeeded in kicking Howie off the ballot, but I stayed on the ballot, so I was still on. Uh, we have to try. No, no doubt about it. I don't think we can abandon parliamentary politics, electoral politics, um, because they'll just be happy to um, take an easy victory. So we gotta, we got to try. We have to change um, this country inside the system and outside the system. But, um, you know, I think it would be a great thing to get Green Party members um, elected to local offices, state offices, and certainly the national level, too. we got to start somewhere. Definitely. And and we have um, uh, candidates for local offices like uh, county council. Um, <clears throat> there's over 100 uh, Green Party uh, elected officials in the United States. 
A lot of people don't realize that. So that is one of the criticisms to say, oh, you just come out and try to run for president. It's, it's not true. We, we run for all offices and we're looking for people to help canvas and knock on doors, uh, collect signatures to get on ballots and for people who are willing to step up and be candidates. And you wanted to um, you wanted to mention that, too, right? You're collecting signatures for um, the third party to be on the ballot in Pennsylvania. Is that right? Or why don't you tell us a little bit about the project that you're working on this next election cycle? Yes. In March, I think after the first week of March, we're going to start signatures to get on the ballot for this November. And so we will need as many people as possible. Um, <clears throat> we also could use any donations that anybody could give to help us get on the ballot and also to fight lawsuits from to avoid getting kicked off the ballot. So I would recommend everyone in Pennsylvania go to uh, GPOFPA, that stands for Green Party of PA.org. And there's a link there to click on donate. You can become a recurring donation for as little as $3 a month. And that's how we're financed. We don't take money from corporations. Uh, we, we're all working people. We don't have uh, you know, full-time. Well, I can't run as a candidate full-time because I'm working, and so are all the other volunteers. But <clears throat> if we can get more sustaining donors, monthly donors, then we can start to do these things and do more uh, campaigning and get more candidates elected. Have you always been interested in politics? Have you always um, maybe considered a run for office? Or is this something, you know, that happened after the 2016 election? I think it's really after the 2016 election. I think before that, I wasn't really paying a lot of attention to politics. I mean, I do have a political science degree, but it's not in modern politics. It's more like political theory and things like that. So I know you, you're a theoretician. You like to discuss those things. We might get into it sometime. I do, yeah. <laughs> How would you describe your political philosophy? So I think my philosophy is most uh, – I, I most see myself as an anarchist um, or maybe uh -huh. a socialist libertarian. These are just propagandized terms I throw out there, but this is how I kind of identify myself. Or my favorite would be an anarcho-syndicalist. So anarcho-syndicalism – um, the way I see it, and there's some books written about it. Um, basically, uh -huh. you know, we have a decentralized political system, and uh, societies organized around democratic, um, democratic, democratic organized workplaces. So workers owning and controlling and having a say in the means of production, and uh, hopefully, you know, we have a small scale government, a decentralized government, no nation state. Um, you know, this is a long-term view, but that's how I, I like democracy, maybe even direct democracy. Those are the things I like. And I don't like the system mm -hmm. of capitalism and the way I see it, just like the uh, factory girls in low Massachusetts in the 19th century and, you know, 1840s or so. Um, those who work in the mills ought to own the mills. So that's kind of the way I, I see things. I think workers should own and control the means of production. I think uh, worker... Ownership, worker control, worker organization, I think is at the root of my political philosophy. I, I, I really subscribe to working class politics. And I think, uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. uh, the Democratic Party left the working class behind decades ago. And the Republicans never even present, pretended to be uh, about the working class voter. The Democrats still pretend, um, but of course, they do absolutely nothing for working people and haven't done anything for them maybe since FDR. Mm -hmm. That's quite a mouthful. Um, I agree. Uh, we should improve uh, to move towards direct democracy. And I, I, I like the idea of uh, having everyone uh, can vote easily. It's, right now, it's very difficult for many people to vote. Uh, we can make it so that everyone can just walk in and register and vote on the same day. Um, we can have voting at the library, at the post office, somewhere easy to vote. And maybe if people are willing to give their uh, fingerprint or biometric data, they can vote from their phone and, and just make it easy for people to vote. Now, if you want to challenge that, then you can challenge it after the vote. Um, my political philosophy, uh, if, if you go to the politicalcompass.org and take their little quiz, I come out as social Democrat, and I think that's where Bernie Sanders comes out, and also Jill Stein, who's running this year for president for the Green Party. Um, <clears throat> 
all the terms have been discredited by somebody. So we're all divided and uh, different groups dislike each other. So on the left, social Democrat has become negative. Um, for um, <clears throat> some people, the word socialist means all good and no bad. And for other people, um, it means all bad and no good. And the same with capitalism. Uh, some people, it's all bad, no good. And some people, oh, it's the best thing and everything else is, is bad. Uh, so I try not to use these words because they've um, really divided us. Well, once we start talking and they hear a, a trigger word, it's like they, they turn people off and they won't listen to you anymore. So um, I wouldn't say I'm well-versed in socialism. I mean, I... I read a little bit from political theory from Marx, but not like all the different movements and, and individual uh, factions. Um, <clears throat> I've read a little about capitalism, like Adam Smith, the more classical things. Uh, I would just simply say I'm social because I think that's the most neutral term. You know, people like social security. They don't feel like that's evil still. They like it. Uh, so I'm, I'm in favor of things like the universal health care, <clears throat> Medicare for all. Um, the green party is in favor, not only of that, but also like, um, universal basic income. I don't know if that matches with anarchism though. <laughs> um, I think so. I think, I think, um, I'm an anti-capitalist, so I oppose private ownership over the means of production. I don't necessarily – I'm not a Marxist. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not a communist. Uh, I'm a communist, anarcho-communist, I guess, but not the communism you know, that uh, was discredited by the Soviet Union. So that's a very centralized, powerful, totalitarian state that I do not like. I think it's probably even worse than our style of government. But I think a lot of these terms, like you said, are – propagandized, it triggers people, but when it comes to capitalism, I prefer, um, I, th I prefer, I prefer worker ownership over the means of production. I prefer workers owning and controlling those means of production. I think that they should have a say in the policies of the workplace, whether, you know, it comes down to the work day, how many days a week people are working, um, you know, all sorts of things within the workplace, you know, like, you know, in, in Pittsburgh, where I'm from and where you live now, I mean, I'm not a steel worker, right? So I would say, you know, the steel workers can organize, they own and control the mills, they, they can kind of come up with their own policies, and maybe they decide they want to have managers, elected managers like co-ops like Mondragon have, or, you know, maybe they just want to do direct democracy, you know, one, one worker, one vote, that sort of thing. But that's not for me necessarily to decide. Uh, I'm not necessarily against private property. Like I think people should own their own houses and that kind of stuff. But what, why I identify as anti-capitalist is because I don't like it that you know a fraction of one percent own the majority of the wealth in this world, not just this country, but this world. Whether it's the stocks, the properties, the corporations, all of it. There's a fraction of one percent that are hoarding you know tens of trillions of dollars. Um, you know, a fraction of 1% is equal to the, the wealth of, uh, you know, the, the half of the world combined or something like that. If you Every time I look at these statistics, they gained more wealth and the bottom half of the world got poorer. So that's how I would describe myself. I, I want a more fair, equal distribution, perhaps agrarian reform as it, as it relates to land ownership, as it relates, relates to um, public property. Um, you know, means of productions, uh, like the commons, for example, parks, uh, you know, mountain ranges, um, you know, na natural, you know, kind of lands, you know, like uh, where people can enjoy, you know, nature and where animals can roam free, that sort of stuff. I think we should all own those. I don't think we should give them out to corporations to frack on or to, you know, <laughs> I guess mine um, resources or drill for oil, all that kind of stuff. It's destroying the planet. So that was another one of your, um, another one of your kind of um, platforms, right? You want to end fracking, end cancer causing fracking. Why don't you talk a little bit about that, though? That's uh, obviously hits close to home. That was a big issue when I still lived there in Pennsylvania, and it's still going on today, right? Uh, definitely. Uh against fracking it does cause cancer the um the ground under pennsylvania contains uh, 
radium and uh, the, the fracking water that comes up is radioactive. Uh, there's increased rates of cancer around fracking wells, and they're talking about having fracking be allowed closer and closer to homes and schools. And uh, yes, we definitely oppose that. Also, uh, as everyone's slowly coming to realize that the planet is heating up and <clears throat> it's it's going to destroy the climate, we're going to have huge weather events more and more frequently, uh, and it's just going to become untenable to keep adding more carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. I'm, I'm all about so, democracy and, you know, having an equal say, and equal vote. But one, um, one, I guess two voting groups that are never pulled, the environment, the animals, you know, they're, they're kind of, uh, they don't get a say and, uh, future generations, they don't get a say, you know, but they're all at stake here mm-hmm. as the, as the climate is changing and as the planet is warming, these groups are not uh, factored in. Um, so, you know, these future generations, we're going to, they're going to inherit a world even in worse shape than, you know, I, I inherited it and, and you inherited it, right? Things are just getting worse. Every mm-hmm. time I read these articles, it's like, uh, I don't know when the tipping point is, but we've either passed it or it's very, very soon. We better do something. And then more of the same, you know, the, the, the policies from, from Trump and Biden, uh, I think Biden actually uh, increased drilling permits on, on public lands, right? So, He's doing absolutely nothing to combat climate change. Maybe some rhetoric here and there, but his policies has, haven't done anything to kind of curb uh, the climate crisis that we're in and the, and the global warming that we have been seeing over the past, I don't know, 100 or so years since the Industrial Revolution. It just gets worse and worse. Yes, I, I don't have the exact figures, but I believe Biden has approved more drilling than Trump did. So yeah. he's actually worse than Trump. Yeah. And then in the, in the Senate race uh, two years ago, um, at, at one point in the past, I think Fetterman said he was against fracking. But by the time he came, it came to the election, he was, you know, singing fracking's praise. You know, it was like. I couldn't believe it. So I was the only candidate anti-fracking at the time. Um, <clears throat> we'll, we'll see how it goes again this year. We're going to try again. Have you talked to a lot of people in Pennsylvania? I don't think I've talked to any common person, any you know normal person walking around the street back home, or <laughs> I even um, you know in some of my other travels where I've lived uh, that are in favor of fracking. You know, I mean, unless you're some like. Uh, you know, capitalist, unfettered capitalism is the way ideologically, you know, leaning person. I think most people understand that fracking doesn't seem like a great idea and it seems terrible for the local communities, polluting drinking water, causing cancer and destroying the environment. It's the people who live near the wells who are really against it. Um, you know, the farmers see their, their livestock are dropping dead from this, uh, drinking the water. Um, it, the, these fracking companies, they have a lot of profits from the fracking. So they have a lot of money for marketing and, and, uh, promoting their business and they claim they create jobs, but really what happens is a small number of investors get a lot of money and then the resource is gone and they skip town. They just leave. And then there's a huge cleanup cost which is left to the taxpayers. There's something like 60,000 wells that are uncapped. There's, there's a requirement to cap them, but if they just close up shop and go out of business and disappear, it's Pennsylvania that's paying for it. And then they say they create jobs, but renewable energy creates far more jobs. There's the <clears throat> all sorts of construction and you know, electrical grid and there's going to need to be uh, batteries that will power through the night and this is a, a, a large investment it's going to be a lot of jobs and they're going to be uh, renewable jobs permanent jobs whereas with the fracking they just come and when the resource is gone they leave and it, there's no more job what do you think about the green new deal and uh, generally the greens have always been at least as, as far as i know pretty environmentally conscious, you know, a party um, in favor of um, treating the environment a little bit better, right? Definitely. And uh, the the first um, iteration of the Green New Deal was by Howie Hawkins in 2010, I believe. 
So the Democrats have tried to claim they created the Green New Deal, but actually the first was the Green Party. What do you think about the Green New Deal and a, you know, a public works project um, with, with the goal of, you know, ramping up, scaling up renewable energy sources and hopefully um, sooner rather than later, um, scaling back our reliance on fossil fuels. We're still in an oil-based economy. In fact, I think that's the whole reason Israel still exists to this day. Uh, Israel exists because the United States wants a military outpost so it can control the world's oil supplies. So that's why Israel gets billions and billions and billions of dollars every single year, taxpayer money, including uh, the settler uh, the, the settlements, uh, increasing the colonized lands and taking over the lands of, of Gaza. Um, but uh, anyways, I digress. Maybe we can get in some Israel stuff. But uh, yeah, what do you what do you think about um, you know a public works project, government putting um, you know people people to work um, with the goal of you know scaling up these renewable energy? We're going to need a major major. Um, public works project, or at least a major you know, industrial project, you know, hopefully backed by states, not just the United States, but you know, internationally, right? Unless we all work together, and the, and the clock is tip, ticking, we're doomed. So I think, you know, as an anarchist, I don't love the idea of a powerful state, but unfortunately, um, I prefer it over, you know, a corporation because we know they're not going to do anything to clean up the planet. They're going to make their profits and skip town, right? Yes, yes. If there wasn't any oil in the Middle East, I don't think we'd have any troops there. Nobody would be interested in it. Um, definitely the the Green New Deal from the Green Party envisions a mobilization similar to World War II, where the, everyone is involved in uh, combating climate change. And that's, that's what the war is against. Um, even if we stopped all um, fossil fuels today, Things are going to still get worse before they get better with regard to the climate. And as it stands, it's like we, we haven't stopped. We've increased fossil fuel uh, production and use. Uh, eventually, we're going to run out of fossil fuels. I don't know how long that'll be, but I hear predictions that we're already near peak oil. When, when you start digging in the tar sands, that's like the lowest quality oil you can find. And that means they haven't any other place to go you know that's like the last yeah. place you go yeah. um and peak oil means that you know production will start declining instead of increasing because they can't find any more but it'll still take if, if we don't stop it, it'll still take um years or decades before we no longer have any more oil but um if it's on the downside rather than up i think everyone can see that it's going to end um Really, it should be immediately. And yes, we do need a, a huge mobilization. I, I don't think we're going to get it until there's some disasters. And it's coming. Um, the hurricanes now, they, they're talking about increasing the categories because Category 5 isn't big enough anymore for the storms they're seeing. Um, <clears throat> what's happening is the radiation from the sun, we're, we're absorbing more than we're reflecting. So it's building up. And the more uh, heat that stays with the earth, the more energy that stays with the earth, the, the more extreme weather we're going to have. And it's been increasing and is continuing to increase at an increasing pace. So we could go what you call like the hockey stick or exponential on us, yeah. which yeah. Uh, which means we're going to see things sooner rather than later. You know, they used to say, oh, by the end of the century, we'll see. No, we might start seeing it this decade. Um the southwest of the U.S. is running out of water. It's getting drier. It's getting hotter. And when it becomes, you know, no water and too hot to live, people are going to start moving out. Uh, so far, people keep moving there. But I think we're going to start seeing a reverse trend coming up. I'm, I'm down here in South Texas, the Rio Grande. I've always heard, oh, the Rio Grande, this ginormous river. It looks like a little stream at this point. Uh -huh. I mean, there's nothing left of it by the time it gets to... Uh, you know, Texas and, and Mexico. It's just, uh, yeah, it's not much, not much left from the, uh, I guess the, the massive water needed to, um, you know, supply Las Vegas, Phoenix, and all the towns mm -hmm. from here to the Gulf of Mexico. 
And uh, something like half of Florida is only inches above sea level. So I think we're going to start seeing uh, uh, some of Florida going underwater or at least more storms and floods. Yeah, I, I saw Kid Rock, who I'm sure is, uh, uh, I know at least with his politics, pretty right-wing or right-leaning, and I'm sure that usually means anti-climate science, but I saw part of his uh, mansion in Florida was washing away, so maybe he'll buy into the climate science now that he has to uh, put up some um, some support walls, or his uh, his uh, new mansion in Florida is going to be uh, in the... Uh, in the Gulf of Mexico or the Atlantic, whatever the side of Florida he's on. Yeah, like um, in the Netherlands, they're they're experts at building these sea walls because uh, they're also below sea level. Um, but it won't work in Florida because the ground is too porous, so the water can can come up through the ground. They're, they're really in a bad situation if you're on the beach. And they, I think that's all. They usually hit pretty hard with the sinkholes too, so I'd believe it. I'm no uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. geologist or climate expert, but yeah, I think you make a lot of valid points, and I'm sure uh, it's, it all sounds, it all makes sense to me. I can remember, so it's been a long time, probably over ten years since I spent a winter in Pittsburgh. But I still have a lot of friends and family there, but I can remember as a kid, you know, in the '90s. Um, getting blizzards. It was at the blizzard of 94. I think it was off from school for weeks, feet of snow. Uh, and having just talked to friends and family, you know, yes. it's, it's, it's like, you know, living in North Carolina nowadays. I mean, we get from what I've talked to them, I mean, maybe a couple days of twenties and thirties, but then it's back up to the fifties. So, uh, the climate, I mean, I hate this anecdotal stuff, but just, you know, back where I'm from, I used to remember, growing up winter and blizzards and sled ride and snowboarding in my backyard, you know, and being off from school for a long period of time because nobody could get to work. Nobody could get to school. It's just getting <laughs> dumped on. Uh, and now it's just, you know, dustings and, you know, in a couple of days it's all melted, right? Yeah. I can also remember having three feet of snow and it, it doesn't go away fast. It stays cold and you're out of school for, I don't know, a week or two. <laughs> and, but uh, no, not anymore. Um, <clears throat> we had something like um, 59 degrees in February. It was spring again. It did get cold again after that, but it's it's warming up now. Um, we only had a couple days where we had significant snow, and then it doesn't stay long because it warms up again within a day or two. So um, temperature has been going up and down, but we don't get all the snow that we used to. It's, uh, I can't remember the last time we had um, a snow for Christmas. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, it's kind of nice for us, but I think it's going to get worse and worse for Southwest. And for uh, the closer you get to the equator, it's going to be bad for um, Central South America and Africa, Middle East. All these places are going to uh, really start heating up, and they're they're all setting records today. Yeah, extreme temperatures for sure, bad for people, but, um, you know, the climate's changing. That's also changing, um, you know, the biodiversity, the plants, the animals, migration patterns, all sorts of things are just, you know, kind of changing drastically. Uh, We're in a mass extinction event. Uh, I think the last one was the result of an asteroid, but this time human beings are the asteroid. We're the ones that's uh, behind the mass uh, extinction event this uh you know uh anthropogenic climate change and we are the cause of it the mass extinction event uh definitely now they're talking about the currents in the atlantic ocean are going to be changing because of the warming ocean uh there's something called the amok current that's going to be disrupted and ironically northern europe is going to become colder uh, rather than warmer, uh, because that stream was warming uh, northern Europe. But, um, you know, it's not going to be like what they call an ice age. It's it's going to be colder in the sense that it might cause crop failures and it, it could affect, um, you know, food supplies significantly. And, um, yeah, I just think, I, I think the best way to combat this is, I think corporations are the enemy. I think we need a democratizing event. I certainly think we need to wake people up, educate them. 
I think, what, 97% or 96% of climate scientists are in agreement. And the thing about that is, like, they call, uh, you know, they call it so-called objective, you know, or or being unbiased in the, in the newspaper. Um, you know, if you have a climate scientist that's saying, hey, climate change, it's going to be bad, you have to have another, you know, wing nut, a uh, right-wing one, probably funded by big oil to say, ah, well, let's not uh, jump to any conclusions here. Um, but it's, it's ridiculous. Anyone that's serious uh, in, in the climate sciences are in agreement um, that it's happening and we are the cause of it. The other, you know, three or four percent, uh, you know, again, funded by probably private interests, big oil, some right wing think tanks. So I think we have to wake people up. But I think most people are aware of the climate problem. Most people polled around the world says that uh, world governments need to be doing more uh, to address this climate crisis. Uh, I think the problem, again, as I see it, as I see may, most of our problems in society are the result of corporations polluting the planet and, um, you know, the, the, the 1% and the fraction of the 1% that are re- uh, using the majority of the world's uh, resources. If you want to go to, like, private planes, just go to the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago. I saw, uh, I saw a, a data piece that was, like, all 520 private jets over the uh, – leaving the skies of uh, Las Vegas after, after the game. I mean, how much do you think – how much do you think that contributed to it? You know, I mean, we have just, a, again, this, these rich and powerful people using drastically more resources uh, than you and I. So I think one thing we could do is, you know, let's let's have these corporations um, taken over by the workforce and we make democratic decisions to curb their impact uh, on destroying the planet. Uh, but I think we need to have some legislation. I'm not big on making new laws and that sort of thing. One thing I would say is let's get rid of these private jets, though. I mean, we need to get rid of these private jets, and we need to scale up public transportation, high-speed rail. I don't think uh, electric cars are the answer, um, especially if we're using you know fossil-fueled power plants to charge these cars. So I think it's, like you said, we need a mobilization of, of, of the world, maybe uh, to the same uh, scale as World War II, otherwise we're doomed. But that's that's how I would address it. I think we need to make some legislation, but I think, you know, number one, we need to educate people, and we need a democratic takeover, because if we leave it up to the 1%, we're all toast. Unfortunately, there, a lot of that is um, <clears throat> right on the mark. Um, <clears throat> yes, I'm not sure how we uh, cut back on the air travel, I, I hope that someday we'll come up with uh, newer and better technologies. Uh, they are doing it for shipping, so that there are ships now that can run electric, and they're even going back some to sails, um, sailing ships. Um, <clears throat> I heard this, this was, I'm not, I didn't fact check it, but this was on a podcast, um, I, I forget who it was, I've had so many guests on, but I think he had mentioned um, that half of shipping is the fuel uh, to, to fuel the ships, you know, around the world. Yes. There's this, like, kind of international global supply chain. And, of course, the, the U.S. military is the number one world polluter. So let's descale the military. But, uh, yeah, these global supply chains, these international supply chains, uh, this globalization of the capitalist system where we have, you know, where we're, we're, we're getting our supplies and resources and sometimes even food thousands of miles from our homes. That's inefficient. We need local communities to be autonomous and self-reliant. And I think we need to get rid of these global supply chains where half of the shipping weight is fuel just to, you know, just to uh, give, the, give the energy so we can ship the, you know, whatever, whatever useless commodity we, we don't need uh, off of Amazon and all these other, uh, you know, e-commerce uh, stores. Uh, that's one of the reasons we have to get money out of politics. Uh, <clears throat> we have to prevent any kind of um, gifts or insider trading on the part of Congress members. We have to limit any kind of contributions. I, I don't think corporations are people. They shouldn't be treated like people. Uh, only people should be allowed, you know, individual human beings should be allowed to make contributions, and those should be limited. And uh, there... There should be money available for each candidate to get time, airtime, to be uh, get their message out and to be in the debates. Um, <clears throat> if we could do that, then we could start uh, combating the corporate control of everything. And of course, they're going to oppose this, but we have to try to do our best. 
and I think as more climate catastrophes happen, that more and more people are going to wake up to this. And the problem is, though, is they control not only the government and the shipping and the energy, but they also control the free press, the Internet, the information system. So we definitely have an uphill battle. Um, but there's things we can do. Um, you know, there's things we, we have can to do. Start, we have to start using um, the antitrust laws that we have because uh, media has consolidated so that five companies own 90% of the, all the print, um, TV stations, magazines, um, all the media in the country that you're going to see in the mainstream media. Um, <clears throat> we need to break that up and make it more uh, broadly owned. And then it's the corporations that are the advertisers. So, of course, the media is not going to want to air news that upsets their advertisers where they get their funding from. And then these five companies that control 90% of the media are owned by something like 15 billionaires. So like 15 billionaires can decide what you're going to see and what you're going to learn about. So the people who, who know about these things are the people who seek it out, who are really looking for this information. And we need to um, make it more uh, democratized distribution of this information. So my favorite author and philosopher is Noam Chomsky, and he's actually talked about this a lot, that he does not think the United States has a free press and, and has even said that uh, the, the press was much freer even in Soviet Russia. I mean, we we a lot of us are propagandized into thinking, yeah, you know, we have this free press and it's a, it's a great thing. Um, but, you know, when you really start looking into it, there's not too many differences between, you know, the two parties here and the information that we're getting. It's very corporate centric. It's very, you know, uh, Russia is bad. America is good. You know, Israel, good. Gaza, bad. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of people in Gaza have to die, but we have to, you know, keep funding the genocide in Israel. So it's like so slanted and you're getting that on those types of stories on every news outlet. There's almost no difference between Fox News, MSNBC, the New York Times, between, you know, the mainstream stuff, um, you know, a little bit out on the margins against the two Basically, the only difference I see between the uh, the Republicans and the Democrats is, you know, the, the the Democrats at least pretend to be in favor of abortion, even though they haven't done, you know, women's rights, reproductive rights, even though they haven't done anything with, with the power that they've had uh, at multiple times to kind of codify it or institutionalize it. Um, I think they would rather use it as a uh, campaign funding opportunity. Um, what do you see? Uh, the differences between the, the political parties and maybe the agenda of the media companies. I mean, it just kind of seems like business as usual, pro-capitalist, pro-elites, pro-corporate domination over every aspect of our society, whether it's the information system, uh, you know, manufacturing companies, the Internet. Uh, I guess, you know, corporate control over everything is a good thing. Um, you know, the banking system, too big to fail. I just saw a huge merger the other day. Uh, we're supposed to think that this is a good thing that Discover and what uh, Bank of America or Discover and one of the other are, ones, yeah, yeah, one of the other ones, whatever they merge, this is a great thing. So there's there's like what five big banks? We have like what five companies that control the media? How many big banks out there that control probably ninety percent of the financial system? Uh, it's just continued consolidation. There's a myth that capitalism, you know, breeds competition, but what we actually end up getting is monopolies and strategic alliances with these giant conglomerates um, partnering with each other to, um, you know, set monopolistic pricing rights and, you know, basically price gouging us and dominating the market. Uh, I think we saw the same thing with Big Pharma and uh, the billions of dollars that we spent funding, um, you know, the COVID vaccine. And then, we you know, they, they end up, uh, you know, selling us <laughs> the, the vaccine uh, after, you know, we funded it for, you know, years uh, in the in the public sector and uh you know we, we can't use the government's power to um you know price negotiate we pay the highest costs for internet in the world we pay the highest cost for drug prices in the world um it's just you know any sector of the economy is dominated by corporate monopolies oligopolies forming strategic alliances and price gouging consumers and yet we're propagandized to say hey this is this is great we got competition we got free choice we got a free press and it's uh, it's it's completely a myth. It's a, it's a 
It's not, it's not reality. Again, I'll go back to Chomsky. I mean, he, he seems to think that the Soviet Russia, um, you know, had, had, had more free press, had more, um, you know, had more facts and truths presented uh, than, than what our media tries to play off um, as, as truth to us when really, in reality, it's either propaganda, misinformation, or outright lies. Definitely, uh, we need to break up the <clears throat> concentration of the market in, in media. Uh, we even should have some media outlets that are public funded and, and not controlled by the government, uh, meaning that they wouldn't be dependent on advertisers and they could really be independent. Um, I'm not entirely against having opposing views being view, being presented because uh, I, I think that when we remove that requirement, um, now I can't call the law, but they changed the law to remove the requirement to give opposing viewpoints. And I think that polarizes us because now we have uh, outlets that specialize in certain viewpoints. Um, <clears throat> we definitely need to break up the banks. Um, there should be no bank that's too big to fail. So that should be a limiting factor it, that if it would make this bank too big to fail, we should not allow that merger. Um, <clears throat> and... Um, when I first started, I, I started out with um, environment uh, because I saw that as the biggest problem looming. I still do, but people aren't inspired by it yet. And I think they will be when there's more catastrophes. But the, they, they're, I think they're coming and maybe even starting this year. But um, then I said, I think what would be more closer to what people are interested in right now or more people would be um, Medicare for all. So I, I don't think the Democrats or the Republicans are interested in Medicare for all. Um, <clears throat> and so Green Party is the only party that's really uh, pushing for Medicare for all. And I think it's very popular. So that, that's what I would start with. But then uh, now this uh, war on Gaza has erupted and it's, uh, it, I think it's sinking in for a lot of people that this is a major catastrophe and a lot of people don't like it. And that's a definitely an opportunity because uh, the green party is against funding this war against supplying any more weapons to this war <coughs> uh, for an immediate ceasefire. Um, and uh, I think more and more people are, are interested in seeing that. Yeah, I saw early in October, not too long after the terrorist attacks by Hamas, which I do not condone, but I think uh, I quoted this before, or paraphrased, you know, when, when you make um, peaceful um, solutions impossible, you make violence inevitable. So that's kind of what I think happened there. I, don't not, I do not condone uh, violence against citizens, but uh, I think people in Gaza and uh, Palestine are very desperate, and uh, they've been... Um, provoked by Israel for a long time. But uh, even before that, I think it was the deadliest year in Gaza history, or at least in a long time prior to the October 7th uh, attacks. I think most people generally would prefer peace over war. I think you'd have to be, you might have to have a screw loose, um, you know, to prefer war. Unfortunately, the United States has basically been at war since 1776. Uh, we have the, the largest military in world history, um, at this point, we nearly outspend the rest of the world combined on military. And the fact that we actually have no natural enemies and our borders have not been threatened uh, since uh, the War of 1812, I think 1813, when um, the British sacked Washington. Uh, basically what the Pentagon is, it is a funnel of taxpayer money to private high-tech industry, all under the guise of defense. But it's certainly not defense, it's more about uh, imperialism and power and control and greed and all that other kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I totally think ceasefire in Gaza, two-state settlement, uh, it's very clear. And I think, again, 66% of the American electorate uh, in early October said they wanted a ceasefire. I'm sure that number is much higher now, even though the propaganda has been uh, relentless. Um, we're supposed to side with uh, Israel uh, and apparently if you criticize the uh, 
the 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 rogue state of Israel and its <clears throat> war crimes and its terrorism. You're an anti-Semite, but that's not uh, that's not the case at all. Um, they are uh, a rogue state that does not follow international law, and I have a I have a problem with their uh, carrying out genocide. So I'd like an end to that. I'd like the ceasefire. I'd like peace, and eventually I'd like a two-state settlement for the people in Gaza. I want to go to Israel though, because um, yeah, it seems like the the Green Party is more about peace. We have two war parties, unfortunately, in the United States. In fact, we have one party. I think it's a one-party state. It's moderate Republicans. Um, you know, there's really not much difference between, I don't even think between Trump and Biden or between Obama and McCain. I mean, uh, I don't know if you can go back to uh, Bush and Gore. I mean, I don't know. There may be some differences, but not much. Um, I, the only difference I see really is, Repu- or, I'm sorry, the Democrats pretend to care about abortion. The Republicans pretend to be religious. And that's really the only difference I see. Um, between between these two major parties, do you see any differences between the two parties? It, only in appearances. Uh, I've heard it described as like a kabuki theater. You, you can't tell what's going on. <laughs> um, I would prefer, if you want to go to the legal system, I would prefer democratic justices and judges and whatnot. Uh, I guess that would, you know, if I if I had to say. One or the other, you know, I guess pretty much vote blue no matter who. If you're only given the choice between Democrats and Republicans, I think if you are in a – the way I see it, I think if you're in a, a swing state, it might be a decent idea to vote against the lesser evil or to vote against the, the person that you think would be a worst candidate. Uh, I think if you're in a red state or a blue state, I think it's a great thing to vote third party. But unfortunately, until we get rid of this electoral college, I really don't see too many options. Although I'd love it to, if we got to a point where um, the Green Party had, um, you know, more, uh, you know, more power, more influence, you know, at the local level, the state level and the federal level. Like you were saying, it's not just an all or nothing, um, you know, attempt at the presidency, but, you know, gain traction in you know, local communities and in local governments. Uh, well, when when the Congress is nearly 50-50, um, then even a few Green Party members could be the deciding vote. <laughs> so it could be uh, just winning a few seats could be uh, a tremendous amount of power. So I definitely see it as worth it. Uh, I, I don't see a huge difference between the parties. In fact, um, Biden has... Um, approved more drilling than Trump. Um, I think Biden throughout his history was against Roe v. Wade and has always liked the the, the way things are right now. He, he's always worked towards this end, that there's no Roe v. Wade and the states can each decide, and that seems to be what he always wanted. So that's what we got. And also an architect of the crime bill, uh, the architect behind mass incarceration and throwing a yes. disproportionate number of blacks and minorities in U.S. prisons. We lead the world in uh, incarceration and we continue to build on our lead, unfortunately. So uh, one of the other yes. things you had talked about was um, uh, legalizing weed. I'm also in favor of decriminalizing all drugs. I think it'd be a great thing to have, at least have, if nothing else, less harsh sentences. And uh, we need to, you know, clean up this mass incarceration stuff. And we certainly need to get rid of the private prison industry, the, the prison industrial complex I've heard uh, coined before. I like that. We need to get rid of the prison industrial complex. Um, I definitely see no need um, for uh, cannabis to be scheduled. It should be descheduled. Um, some people think that means you can use it like tobacco. I think it's a little more like alcohol. I mean, you could still be um, driving under the influence using cannabis, but um, <clears throat> definitely no more criminal than alcohol. Um, what else? I, I don't think I'd go so far as all drugs, but uh, some <laughs> I could understand. Uh, I, I mean, if... if I think decriminalizing them, like, I don't, I don't think, okay, if you have a hard drug on you and maybe you're a user, you know, and I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I don't really think it matters too much whether you're selling or using it. I'd like less harsh sentencing. So, uh, especially if it's mm-hmm. a victimless crime though, and you're just a user. Yeah. I, I don't think we should have a harsh sentence, maybe just a fine and some counseling, something along those lines. I mean, in the long mm-hmm. run, pretty much for legalization, uh, you know, I, I like. The, I think if anything is criminalized, if you criminalize behavior, 
Uh, I think education is the best way to go about it. Education, um, rehab, treatment, that sort of thing. So I wouldn't decriminalize any of it, but I, I, I would say that the first step would be decriminalize less harsh penalties. If you want to make some stuff illegal, sure. But, you know, throwing people in, the, in, in jail for 10, 20 years for drug offenses is ludicrous to me. Yes, um, addiction should be treated as a, a medical issue, not a criminal issue. So, yes, send them to rehab, not to prison. Um, in, in addition to the private prisons, we have to um, dismantle the <clears throat> the, the um, use of prisoners for labor. We, we also lead the world in prison labor, and it's a, a legalized form of slavery. It and is. that might be that might be one of the reasons why we have such harsh laws to fill the prisons because these people are working for 10 cents an hour for, for corporations. And that's actually keeping wages down for the rest of us too. When you have slave labor, it's going to keep wages down for everyone, not just the prisoners. Definitely. Uh, Let's see here. What else do we want to talk about here? Um, I want to go back to the, we talked about a little bit, you have a law background, you are a lawyer. Uh, I think people should have rights, not corporations, not uh, organic entities given powers by the states. These state charters, I think, for corporations should be revoked. And again, I'm in favor of dismantling corporations. I'm in favor of small, worker-owned, worker-controlled co-ops. I think that would be, you know, the ideal form of for society uh, back to anarcho-syndicalism. What they say to you about, um, you know, in your education uh, in law school and stuff like that, what they, what, how did they talk about, you know, corporations being people, immortal, person, immortal persons with rights, you know, with rights and abilities to uh, buy property. I mean, now we're looking at corporations buy up single family homes. You know, the, the, the cost of living is insane uh, in America. It's actually starting to go down, which is a good thing, but the inflation the last few years, Post-COVID has been terrible. Um, the housing prices are going way up. Rents are going way up. People are struggling. And I think one of those reasons is corporations are allowed to buy property. They're allowed to you know, do business in other countries, um, you know, limiting their tax burdens and offshoring some of their um, productions to get um, governments uh, to give them better deals, You know, putting one government against the, the rest and trying to find the most exploited labor force. This is what I see as neoliberalism. But uh, let's just go to the whole idea in, in U.S. law. What did they tell you in law school about corporations being people, being immortal persons with uh, exorbitant rights? Um, I, I think the reason why they still have no clean water in Flint, Michigan, is because the clean water was sold to a corporation. And uh, I, I think we should uh, have a way of preventing that. Uh, perhaps for the same family homes as well. Um, <clears throat> what they teach you in law school is the history of corporations, which is simply that they have contractual rights. It's just a way of limiting liabilities to encourage investment. So if you want to incorporate a company, um, <clears throat> you can incorporate your Uber business. You can open up a small bakery. You could ha- incorporate, and then if there's a, an accident, you know it gets your insurance, but it doesn't come and take your retirement away. Uh, is, it, it could be the same for any small business. And I, I think on I, a small scale, it's not a bad thing. I don't think that sounds like yeah, a terrible thing definitely. on a small scale. I think it becomes a major problem when you have transnational corporations buying up, you know, the water rights in these in, in countries of the global south, and then you know, poor people can't drink, you know, that sort of stuff. I think it, it's terrible. Yes, what, on on a, a ginormous scale, which these transnational corporations, as we discussed, the banking industry, these big banks too big to fail. The internet companies, um, the news media, all these corporations and these giant conglomerates, um, that's when it creates problems. But, yeah, a small bakery, make your family's bakery, having a, you yeah. know, having a, an LLC and, you know, uh, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It's probably a good thing in Pittsburgh. I don't know. I haven't asked anyone that uh, ate at your shop, but I'm sure you guys had good products. So I think that's a good thing. But, yeah, uh-huh. I think it becomes an issue at a, at a global scale, at a huge scale, you know. Definitely. Uh, well, we, we need to use the um, antitrust laws to break up the large corporations. They're too big. Even um, The Economist magazine had, you know, which is very pro-capitalism, um, had an article about the pharmaceutical profits are too high. So there's capitalists saying 
too much profits is actually uneconomic. What it means is there's too much consolidation of power in the market and they're extracting uh, excess profits that are actually harmful and uneconomic. Greedflation, that was one term I've recently read in the last few years. I think it makes sense to me. Greedflation is one of the reasons why we are seeing this cost of living crisis. Um, yeah. Uh, what did I want to say here? Um, maybe it'll come to me and I'll think of it. I want to go back to voting, um, make it a holiday, make it easy. Maybe people can vote Definitely. on their phones. Maybe people can vote on the internet. Maybe you go <coughs> and register and you vote all in 10, 15 minutes. I don't think that that would be a bad thing. Um, you know, these voter registration laws and not allowing, um, you know, people that, uh, you know, maybe were convicted of a crime, uh, you know, of course in, in the past, uh, we had poll taxes, but now I heard the, you know, uh, convicts and whatnot in some states, um, if you have legal bills that you haven't uh, paid off yet, you're not allowed to vote. Well, that's kind of like poll tax to me. So there's all these different ways to keep people from voting in this country. I would say it should be free. It should be easy. It should be convenient. Um, hopefully we can do it in 10, 15 minutes and then go about with the rest of our lives. And maybe we should make it on a Saturday or Sunday or make it a national holiday. I think it'd be a great thing if everyone voted. And I think if everyone voted and it was quick and easy, I think, um, some more left-wing agenda would make it to the mainstream, but, uh, they want to make it difficult. They want to make it tedious. They want to make it confusing, uh, to limit, um, you know, our ability to, I don't know, <laughs> get get the uh, get the agenda accomplished. In fact, that's part of what the Senate was designed to. The, the reason that we have two houses in Congress is because if um, any leftist legislation, progressive legislation, got through the first house of Congress, it would be stopped dead in the Senate, and it has been you know for a long time. Uh, it's very very difficult to get uh, uh -huh. to pass through both houses. So the the Senate is doing exactly what it was designed to do. It's designed to limit democracy. It's designed to stop democracy. It's designed to um, be sympathetic to the landed property owners. That's what that's how the the founding fathers designed it, and that's what it does today. It was designed extremely well. In fact, in the old days, the Senate was appointed. It wasn't even elected. So at least today, we can finally vote for these crooks. But uh, they still. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, make it really difficult to get anything passed, especially, you know, it's, it's usually just status quo stuff. It's usually pro-corporate legislation goes right through. It's fast-tracked and uh, anything like Medicare for all or, I don't know, cancel student debt stuff, uh, anything like that that actually helps normal working people usually struck down, struck dead in the Senate. Definitely. Uh, we should definitely make voting easier, make it on weekends. Uh, people can mail in votes like a month ahead of time. We could just make it so you can vote in person for a whole month instead of on one day alone. You can pick a day and go vote. Uh, someday in the future, we might have a running tally that you can look up on the Internet and see wh where the voters are, and you can change your vote. You can go up and down for a month and switch it around back and forth, and they can argue for people's votes. Uh, it might be a good thing. Are the Democrats uh, as as uh, as conservative with voting and having to vote in person and that kind of stuff? Uh, it seems like the yes. Republicans. It seems like the the Democrats aren't too far behind them, right? They're not very progressive when it comes to voting, are they? I think they're very similar. I think they both like to have the minimum number of voters possible. I, I talked to one person about voting, and um, he said he's he's not registered to vote because um, that's where they get the um, uh, the jury members from the, the from the voting rolls. And it's like, well, maybe we can stop that. You know, anything that it could be used for that would discourage people from from using it. Uh, we should definitely take it away and make it so you can walk in and register and vote immediately. If you have no idea, if you have no ID, um, maybe it could take a fingerprint and they could be able to tell that this fingerprint only voted in one place in the entire country and they're not running around voting multiple times. Uh, the Medicare for all, there's a couple things. I wanted to get to Ukraine a little bit. I, I am in favor of... Uh, not in favor of the, the proxy war. I, I, I'm in favor of peace and diplomatic solutions there. But I think Ukraine are the victims. Um, they're being, uh, you know, victimized by Putin and his war crimes. Um, but I, I'm not in favor of proxy war. I'm in favor of diplomacy. Uh, I'm in favor of a diplomatic solution there. Uh, I'm not in favor of World War Three. 
Uh, but as it relates to Israel and Gaza, stop funding the dead genocide. You know, immediately, if the United States would stop funding genocide, I think the ceasefire would happen almost immediately. Uh, definitely, Israel couldn't do it without the support from the U.S. Uh, the U.S. says we're not sending any more weapons, we're not sending any more money. They'll stop. We're turning off um, the faucet, guys. It's over, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Medicare for all. Uh, Let me get to this real quick. I am in favor of single payer. Uh, we're the only country in the world that has this dysfunctional system, this privatized system, this corporate system dominated by insurance companies and big pharma. But I'll go a step further. I'm in favor of having um, you know public uh, healthcare clinics. You know, much like the VA works here. You know, for vets, but for everyone. You know, maybe we have local clinics uh, owned and operated by local communities at the, at the city level or state level. I think single payer is a great thing. It's a good start, but I wouldn't stop there. So the NHS, you know, the national health system in, in Britain, I think that's a decent model. I think they have uh, clinics similar in, in Canada. That's what I would go for. I think we should have public health care clinics where everyone can go. And there's, you don't have to take your checkbook. You don't have to take your credit card. You don't have to take cash. You get in there, you get treated, you go home, you go about your business. It's quick and easy, just like voting. Yes. Um, let's see. I think in England, they're trying to dismantle the system and trying to privatize it and make it like the U.S. I, Damn right not they are. Be happy. What they're trying to do is run it into the ground, just like they are with Medicare. The, the, the yes, formula is like to fund you. it, make it run poorly, get people angry enough, and then call for privatization. So that's what they're doing the, yeah. with the NHS there in Britain. That's the same playbook they're doing here, trying to first defund Medicare, hoping that it runs poorly, and then maybe eventually we'll people will call for a privatization answer, but that's not the answer. Uh, more insurance yeah. companies, more bureaucracy. Uh, Medicare runs at a fraction of the cost of these big uh, healthcare insurance companies. They have nothing to do with health or outcomes. It's just about making money. It's just about profits. Yes. I think they're trying to do that to the post office right now too. They want to privatize it. So they're trying to make it run poorly. Um, so there's a difference between myself and uh, Howie Hawkins on uh, Medicare for all, he would like an NHS type system. I'm willing to consider uh, kind of a hybrid system. So we already have VA hospitals. I think we could make them open to the public and the government could open more of them in for underserved areas. Um, in addition, I agree with walk-in clinics, local clinics. That would be something that anybody could walk into and get their ordinary types of care. Um, and I don't, I don't think you need to be a citizen. I don't think you need to show ID or anything. You know, like if you're here illegally, fine, you can come and get health care. You know, that's that's how I would say. And same with voting. I don't really care about voter ID laws. I mean, I'm an anarchist, so I want as little legislation <laughs> and government as possible. I think some, you know, government is, is okay. I think taxation is fine. It's going to fund our, you know, social welfare program. Uh, program. So it's not necessarily a terrible thing. What say you, though? Uh, voter ID laws. Uh, do you have to be a citizen to get health care? I, I say no to all that stuff. Do you, do you think that do you draw the line there or you're, you're on board with me? If you're if you're here in, in this country, um, you can get free health care. <laughs> and, hey, you can vote, too. If you're if you're around and, and you're from a different country visiting and you want to go vote, I don't care. Go ahead and vote. Vote for everyone. Well, I, I think if they want voter ID because it's such a popular idea, I would try to come up with some kind of way of merging the ideas. And that would be to say, you know, just like the registration, you should be able to walk in and register on the spot and vote. And also, if you need an ID, they can take your picture and give you an ID on the spot so you can vote. So it shouldn't be an impediment to voting. I, once I um, wait for like a month to get my ID, I'm like, what, what, is, what am I paying my tax dollars for? What, what, do, you, what do you mean I have an ID right here? Wait, this is nuts. Yes. So we should make it definitely easy to vote. Um. If somebody needs help, they should get help. So, yes, you can go into a clinic and not have to show ID. Um, I, I understand there's a lot of concern about, you know, immigrants and all this. And, and I think we can find a way to, to deal with it without um, making it into a polarizing issue. Hey, my friend, uh, I totally agree. Let's uh, let's end this here. Uh, 
we're uh-huh. over pretty much everything we talked about. It's going to be a hard end here in about 20 seconds. Let's do it again some sure. time. Let's stay in touch. I really appreciated uh, you know, your time and the opportunity to discuss these political issues with you. And uh, I'd love to do it in the future. Thanks. And hopefully if uh, people liked uh, what you had to say here today, I'll link your Twitter handle to the podcast. And hopefully they can Thank sign you. your petition. All right? All right. GPFPA.org. <laughs> Adios. Donate. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Necessary Illusions. I also want to thank my special guest, Green Party member Richard Weiss, for a great discussion on green politics. Again, I am your host, MC Squared. No gods, no masters. I'm out. Thank you.